This week on Blue 58, there is good reason to think we're seeing the end of Clay Matthews in Green Bay, at least from a certain point of view. Let's talk about what that means. Plus, why it's dumb to get mad about coaches talking or not talking to the media, and why it's best to take a wait-and-see approach with Mike McCarthy. Then, it's possible for two things to be true at the same time. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of the Power Sweep com. I am your host, John Meerdink. Excited to be with you here for another episode of Blue 58, episode number 86, which means that we are 14 away from episode number 100. What would you like to see us do for episode number 100? Feels like we should do something. We were going to do something for 50, and then it kind of got away from us and we didn't end up doing anything. But if there's something special that you think we should do for episode number 100, maybe sit back and look at some of our greatest hits. No, no, we won't do that. That's always really boring when people do that. Anyway, episode number 86, here we are. I have to start off with a bit of a thank you because we've gotten some good, I guess, attention isn't the right way, response, that's what I'm looking for, response to a couple of our articles over the past couple of weeks, both of them having having to do with the chin straps that particular members of the Packers wear. I wrote one about Brett Hundley and Deshaun Kaiser and Tim Boyle. Uh, jettisoning their two-point attachment and going with the four-point attachment. You, if you know what I'm talking about, you've already seen the piece and you've either you know talked to me about it on the internet or, or something. You've reacted to it in some way. My point is I need to say thank you to each and every one of you who allows me to talk about the weird things that we do on this podcast and on thepowersweep.com. And I want to continue doing that. Uh, give you, I guess, what you're looking for. And that's more of the weird, the wild, and unusual that goes on with the Packers. But I need a little bit of help to do that. And this is a really great time to do that. Because we've got weeks here before things are really going to start picking up for the 2018 season. So let's get a little bit weird. Talk to me about the weird and wild and wonderful stuff that you want to talk about with the Packers. Tell me the weirdest thing that you just can't let go about the Packers or the thing that you've always wondered about. And let's spend a little time talking about it together. I want to hear what you're thinking about that sort of stuff. So reach out to me on one of our various platforms. You know where to reach us, Facebook, Twitter, email. I'll say it all at the end of the show. You know where to find us by now. Anyway, let's move on. That thank you said and that thank you very much meant uh, to more important things. This is the end for Clay Matthews in Green Bay. Looking at players' careers in the NFL, or in any sport, or really anything in life in general, it is more often than not true that we don't know when the end of something is going to come. This thought occurred to me, not particularly originally, but This thought occurred to me the other day as I was doing some research on Jordy Nelson for another piece that I was writing. And looking back at Jordy Nelson's playoff stats, the last game, the last playoff game that he played completely healthy was the 2014 NFC Championship game. That was the last time we got fully healthy Jordy Nelson in the playoffs. The game that ended with Brandon Bostick, doing what Jordy Nelson was supposed to do and botching an onside kick. In 2015, Jordy Nelson tore up his knee and missed all of that season. In 2016, he was cracked in the ribs very early in the wild card game against the Giants, 
missed the next round against the Cowboys, and then played through broken ribs in the NFC Championship game. And though he played pretty well in that championship game, it was pretty obvious that he was not 100%, and his performance was significantly limited. The Packers, of course, didn't make the playoffs last year, and now Jordy Nelson is off to Oakland. So as it turns out, even though he would play, be with the Packers, let's just for three more seasons, 15, 16, and 17, and go on to play at least one more NFL season, the last time we got fully healthy Jordy Nelson in the playoffs was all the way back in the 2014 season. We didn't know that was going to be it, but that's how it turned out. The exact opposite, I think, is true with Clay Matthews. This is it. This is going to be the end for Clay Matthews. But what exactly does that mean? I would not be surprised to see Clay Matthews play with the Packers beyond this season. I think it's a virtual certainty that he plays somewhere in the NFL beyond 2018. But I think this is the last season where Clay Matthews has any vestige of superstar left. This is the last year of the five-year, $66 million extension that Clay Matthews signed in 2013. That extension was structured in such a way that the Packers could have cut him during this offseason and he wouldn't have counted a single cent against their 2018 cap. Now, Brian Gutekunst not only decided that he was not going to release Clay Matthews, but he also declined to make any meaningful additions to the roster at edge rusher, at edge rusher throughout this entire offseason. I think that's a pretty extreme vote of confidence in Clay Matthews, who just turned 32 years old. And at 32 years old, Clay Matthews seems more mortal than I think he ever has. He's always kind of had that great God sort of physique, and he still does. And when he was in his prime, he was as athletic a player as anyone at just about any position. They talk about players coming screaming off the edge as a pass rusher. That is the very definition of what Clay Matthews did. Him exploding into offensive backfields, blowing up plays really before they even started, and an absolute terror. I don't have to tell you that. You've seen it yourself. But this offseason, we've seen the pictures of Clay Matthews in the video as well, of him laying on the floor of a softball stadium with a bloody nose, having gotten just blasted in the face by a softball by Lucas Patrick, who will, I guess I've always, always have that bit of trivia attached to his name, no matter what else he does in Green Bay. So Matthews comes into this season having gone through an offseason when he could have been cut for nothing and then having suffered the indignity of getting blasted in the face by a softball. He's old. Uh, and the end is coming. So what does that mean for this, his final season, with the last vestiges of superstardom attached to his name? What do we expect from him going into this season? Well, to start, I'd like to frame the question by talking about how some other pass rushers have done at age 30 or above. Five sacks is a pretty decent season for a rotational pass rusher. 
And it's a pretty low bar for a guy who's going to be getting as many opportunities as Clay Matthews is going to. In Packers history, since sacks have become an official stat, there have not been a lot of super productive pass rushers who have have put up gaudy numbers or even respectable numbers over the age of 30. Since 2000, there have only been four players for the Packers who have had five or more sacks in a season at age 30 or older. Julius Pempers did it three times. Clay Matthews has done it twice. Kabir Gabaja Abiyamila and um, Santana Dotson both did it once apiece. I think Brian Gutekunst is making a pretty big bet on Matthews being at least that good this season. He's never had fewer than five sacks in a season. So it seems pretty fair that he's probably going to get at least every shot to hit that number. But on the other hand, that seems like a really, really low threshold for a guy who we're talking about seeing the end of his superstar days. He's still getting paid like a superstar. And the Packers have to be getting more, have to be hoping they're going to be getting more than five sacks from one of their two starting outside linebackers, no matter what his age might be. The better question about what we expect from Matthews is whether the Packers could weather him only getting five sacks or so. And I guess that's kind of the ultimate rub on Matthews for where we are heading into his final season. His final season under contract, at least. We've seen that Brian Gutekunst is not afraid to move on from older players. Jordy Nelson probably could have helped the Packers in 2018 to some extent. In the battle between Jordy Nelson and Geronimo Allison, I would still probably bet on reconstructed knee aging Jordy Nelson over Allison. Matthews really doesn't have a comparable competition. He really doesn't have any competition at all. But still, we're wondering, I guess, how low the bar can be. And that's sort of an being, isn't it? It's sort of weird to, to sit and be able to think about, huh, is this really going to be it for a guy who was just a couple votes away from being Defensive Player of the Year in 2010? As I get older, it's it's interesting to be able to recall more and more players' entire careers. I could re- recall very vividly everything that Jordy Nelson has done with the Packers. It's going to be the same with, with Clay Matthews. And it's interesting to sit here at the end, or very near the end, and wonder how much he really has left. Especially because we know there's at least going to be this season. So while the end may not actually be here, we can see it. And we know what the expiration date is, at least for this version of maybe over-the-hill superstar Clay Matthews. I think that's interesting. And I think it's something we're going to have to watch very closely as we go through this season. Moving along, media requirements are dumb, but... Getting mad about media requirements is just as dumb. You can tell we're in the offseason because we spent more than one news cycle talking about Winston Moss and his response to the various beat writers asking him questions in Green Bay. 
late last week, I think it was late last week, at some point last week after we, we recorded, Winston Moss got a little bit surly uh, during his media session at Lambeau Field. I believe it was Jason Wilde who asked, you know, hey, what's the deal? Did we do something or say something? And Winston Moss just kind of grumbled, oh, I can't help you. I have some thoughts. It's dumb, first and foremost, that guys are required to talk to the media. If you have something to say, I think you should, you know, be free to talk. And beat writers will talk on and off. The The Milwaukee Journal Sentinel guys on their podcast talked about how this, for the Packers, is sort of a change from how they used to do things. They used to kind of just have all the coaches in a room, in a locker room, and, and something like that. And you could kind of mingle with them and talk as they needed or as as they were available and as they were willing to talk. They would all just be in there for an amount of time and you could talk to them as much as you wanted. Now they send them out one by one for these news conference style situations. So this seems like a dumb way to do it. And it's dumb that guys are required really to talk at all. If you don't want to, you shouldn't be forced to talk. But I think enough guys would realize in the 21st century that it's in your best interests to talk to the media. Because, especially a guy like Winston Moss, they should realize that this can only help them, if they're any good at this, in the future. It can't hurt you at all to be considered a guy who is good at handling the media, especially in the era of CEO-style coaches. You've got to be able to do this part of the job, or you're going to be making your franchise look stupid if you get up there and talk like a bumbling idiot. I think it's going to be more and more rare to see a guy like Jim Tom Sula get hired as a head coach just because he looks like a bit of a, a buffoon standing up there in front, of the, in front of the media. Look at a guy like him when he was the, the head coach of the 49ers compared to Sean McVay with the Rams now. I mean, it's night and day. It's like, it's very obviously two different eras of football. So it's in these coaches' best interest to talk to the media. And if you're going to talk to the media, whether it's mandatory or not, you owe to present yourself as well as you can. So requirements that he talk to the media aside, Winston Moss should absolutely know better than to behave like he did in the press conference the other day. I need to make that very clear before I get to my next point. It's, it's absolutely fair uh, from you know just an outsider's perspective, from anybody's perspective, to say, you should be better at this. You need to do a better job at this. This is part of your job. And even if it wasn't an official part of your job, it, it behooves you to be good at this. All right? Just figure it out. Figure out how to you know, give the baseline answers. I mean, Dom Capers would never be confused for somebody who is especially adept at handling the media. But you can go back and you can watch his news conferences on Packers.com right now. He wasn't bad at it. It was clearly not his favorite thing to do, but he gave good answers. He was willing to talk to guys, even you know over the last couple of years, as things were going pretty badly for Dom Capers. He could do it. There's no reason that Winston Moss can't be at least that good. That all having been said there is a part of this story that nobody has talked about and I think needs to be brought up. No matter how they spin it, no matter how Jason Wildey talks about, you know, kind of looking 
to smooth things over with Winston Moss and be friendly and, you know, everybody can hold hands and sing Kumbaya and we can all just be friends and pals and buddies and everything like that. As much as, you know, they might like to present it as, you know, we're just all trying to get along here, it needs to be noted that the media has a vested interest in getting these guys to talk because it makes their job incredibly easy. This was a big reason a lot of the media was mad at Ted Thompson for not talking to them more than he did. Because these are fish-in-a-barrel type stories. If you can just get a high-ranking member of some organization to talk, it really doesn't matter what organization it is. It's a big enough organization, and this person is high enough up in that organization, no matter what they say, it's going to be news. So it's really easy if you're so-and-so reporter at the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, if Ted Thompson or Winston Moss or Mike McCarthy gets up there, you've got an easy story. No matter what he says, you can take his quotes and you can spin it and make it into a story. So as much as some in the media would like you to believe that you know they, they're looking out for Winston Moss, that may be true, but it needs to be pointed out that they are also looking out for themselves. They have a personal interest in this. And I'm not saying that's bad, it's part of their job, but that's just the way it is. They're not doing this out of the goodness of their heart. Whenever there is a story in the media, you need to ask yourself who stands to benefit from every story, every story about conflict. Who stands to benefit? Who stands to benefit in this situation from making Winston Moss look bad? and reform his media ways. Who really stands to benefit from that story? The next time his media availability comes, to around, comes around and Winston Moss is chipper and happy and giving answers that everybody seems to like and makes great stories, who really benefits out of that? Who has the most tangible benefit? It's the reporters. It is. And that is, that's just a fact. It's not a slight against the reporters. That's just the way things are. So be aware of that as these stories come out. Yeah, it's good that it would be good for Winston Moss if he was better with the media. Yeah, it's good that the Packers have a general manager in Brian Gutekunst who is more willing to talk to the media. That's good. That's good for all of us. It helps us know more about the Packers, become smarter Packers fans, blah, blah, blah. You know all those things I say. But consider who benefits as well. And I don't want to turn this into an anti-media screed. A lot of what, what we do at the Power Sweep wouldn't exist without the beat writers. And beat writers are extremely important. And I think you should support your local papers and, and stuff like that. But, you know, they do have a vested interest here. Speaking of talking, look at that for a segue. Uh, Mike McCarthy recently spoke with the media talking about his plans for the Packers running back group as he heads into the 2018 season. He used a very, very dreaded phrase among some Packers and football fans, running back by committee. That used to be the sort of thing that you would say that your team would have if you didn't have any good running backs. You know, we don't have a, a, you know, a single guy who's going to carry the ball 300 times this season, so we're going to go with a running back by committee approach. It used to just mean that you didn't have any good running backs, but now in 2018, it means something entirely different. That doesn't mean that's not how Mike McCarthy meant it. I think Mike McCarthy, if he had his druthers, would 
prefer to just hand the ball to one guy 300 times a season and call it good. You don't have to think about things a whole lot. You can run the same personnel groupings, you know, all the time. And it makes it a little bit easier on your head coach. You don't have to worry about a lot of things. But in 2018, that's really not how the NFL works anymore. If you're giving the ball to one guy 300, 325 times in a season, your offense is probably not operating at peak capacity. There's really no reason to have one guy handling that much of the the load anymore. Offenses are so diverse and they have so many different skilled players that it actually is much more of a benefit to have different guys doing different things with different skill sets than it is uh, to try to just make one guy or get one guy who can do everything. It's a lot easier to find a few guys who can do a couple things than one guy who can do everything. So when Mike McCarthy says he wants to have a running back by committee, I'm hoping he means the second thing. The Packers do have several different running backs with several very different skill sets. I think that's pretty obvious. You just put Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones and Ty Montgomery next to each other on the sideline and say, yeah, just looking at them, it looks like they probably all do pretty different things. And if the Packers use them all to do those different things that they do well, at their appropriate times, I think it's a pretty good group of running backs. But Mike McCarthy has said a lot of these sorts of things in the past. He has said you can write in big letters the defense is going to be better. He said he wants to have big, strong guys running down the middle of the field. He has said a lot of things about wanting to run the ball better. The thing is, when it comes to running backs, Mike McCarthy has had a lot of opportunities to do more of an equal split among his backs. And outside of injury situations, there's never really been anything close to an equal equal split among his backs or anything that you could call a running back by committee approach. The only time things have been anything close to equal have been when there's been significant injuries. 2011, 2012, 2015, 2016. All of those years were marked by injuries to the running back position. In 2016, Ty Montgomery only ended up at running back in the first place because they had no other healthy backs to put there. They just didn't have anybody. So they had to roll out Ty Montgomery at running back. It happens. My point in all this is we need to wait and see a little bit before we can really take Mike McCarthy at his word. He hasn't been good at splitting up carries among his backs in the past, and there's really no reason to assume that he's going to be good at doing it in the future. He has really just preferred to stick with one guy, game in, game out, drive in, drive out, for the balance of his career in Green Bay. I'm not saying he can't change. I'm saying so far he's done things pretty much one way, and it would be a surprise to see him make a big departure from that this season. It would be in the Packers' best interest probably for him to do that, but I just don't believe that it can happen. While I've got you here, I want to talk about something that is not necessarily sports-specific, but I think has a good sports application. This idea came to me as I was doing some research into Montrevious Adams and his potential contributions this year. The 2017 Third-round pick, Montrevious Adams, really was not a contributor in 2017 at all. That got me thinking about the Packers' third-round picks under Ted Thompson and what they've done. 
have contributed and things like that. And long story short, um, Ted Thompson was not great at drafting third round picks. Um, here are the Packers' last six third round picks. Montrevious Adams, Kyler Fackrell, Ty Montgomery, Kyrie Thornton, Richard Rogers, and Alex Green. That takes us all the way back to 2011. You know, going back further, you get some more contributors, but by the time you're past 2011, you're really, it's getting close to being back almost a decade. I mean, you get Morgan Burnett in 2010 and Jermichael Finley in 2008. That's not a not a really great, great track record going back 10 years for the Packers. Generally speaking, though, I think it's fair to say that Ted Thompson did pretty well for the Packers in the draft, especially even in the later rounds, the fourth and fifth round. Ted Thompson did great. Second round, he drafted a lot of great wide receivers. The first round, mixed but successful in a, in a lot of ways. Generally speaking, it's true to say that Ted Thompson did pretty well by the Packers in the draft. It can also be true to say that Ted Thompson was not great at drafting in the third round. One of those statements does not invalidate the other. And my point in all this is is wanting to remind you, maybe remind myself, that more than one thing can be true at the same time. I bring this up because it seems so common in sports media, in the media in general, in the world in general today, to just pick one thing in particular and just cling to that at all costs as being the only thing that can possibly be true. That just seems incredibly short-sighted to me, because not only does it close off a lot of potentially great options for solutions to things and ways to think about things, but it can also make you look silly. Uh, very often in the in the media now, we're seeing, you know, people cling to what they thought were the paragons of virtue uh, that end up not being very nice people. You know, quite often men, it seems like. And so often, we need to remember that it can be true that someone seems like a nice guy and they do a lot of good things, or maybe they're just a good performer or artist or football player or basketball player or whatever. It can also be true that they're a very bad side of that purview. Packers specific, more than one thing can be true at a time. It can be true that maybe the Packers have not always had the greatest playoff defense, while at the same time it can be true that Aaron Rodgers has not always played particularly well in the playoffs. More than one thing can be true at a time. It can be true that the Packers have not have a lot, had a lot of success um, on defense over the past few years, but it can also be true that a lot of their defense has been pretty ravaged by injury. And a lot of players who might have been big contributors maybe didn't end up being the guys that teams thought they were going to be because of injury. More than one thing can be true at a time. I'm just asking you to remember, and again, maybe myself to remember, that more than one thing can be true at a time. And don't cling to one piece of truth or one fact or one piece of information as the ultimate definer of your worldview or your opinion in one case or another. I think you'll be better off if you avoid that way of thinking. Just a thought. That's all I've got for you this week. I appreciate you tuning into episode number 86. You can find us as you always do at thepowersweep.com and on Facebook and on Twitter. We will be continuing this entire operation throughout this quote-unquote dead period in part 
because I've got nothing better to do, but also in part because we think it's important to continue to give you good Packers media during this time when a lot of places seem to take a little bit of time off. If you'd like to contact us, reach out via email. ThePowerSuit1959 at gmail.com is the way to do that. You can support us as you have on patreon.com slash thepowersweep. One dollar a month goes a long way towards helping us keep this whole show running. If you would like to do so or do support us financially and look good as you do so, consider buying a, sh- a shirt on teespring.com. Click the store link at thepowersweep.com to find your way there. And as always, the best way for you to give us a review for absolutely free is to, or to support us for absolutely free is to leave us a review on iTunes. It is free. It is easy. Helps other people find the show. No pressure, though. We do love to hear from you. Any feedback you give us helps us make this entire show, this website, everything better. It helps all of us become Smarter Packers fans. Because as I always say, Smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I am John Meerdink. We will see you next week on Blue 58. (laughs) 